Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. In today's brief, we'll talk about the Battle of Avdiivka, Storm Z, and Hamas. I'm Yulia, and today is Saturday, October 28, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's start with the news from the front. The entirety of the front remains challenging for Ukraine, with Russia attempting to encircle troops to the northwest of the city of Donetsk and Avdiivka. Russians are throwing all of the resources they can at Avdiivka, despite taking huge losses and having to divert troops from other areas of the front. According to the U.S., Russia lost thousands of troops and over 125 armored vehicles. The U.S. accused Russia of having to shoot their own troops to keep them fighting. Some say it's a very Soviet tactic. But it's not. This is Russian through and through. The timing of this desperate attempt by Russia isn't a coincidence either. Russian president-slash-dictator Putin welcomed Hamas leaders in Moscow today as they're at war with Israel. And the U.S. House of Representatives elected a staunchly anti-Ukrainian and therefore pro-Putin Speaker Mike Johnson. Russia is banking on Western backing for Ukraine to stop and is trying to force Ukraine's allies to demand Ukraine to negotiate. As anyone who's negotiated with Russia, China, or Iran knows, though, nationalist dictatorships don't negotiate in good faith and only respond to shows of force. It's critical for Ukraine and its allies to show that nothing will stop aid from flowing, and it's critical for Putin to perceive the situation that way. The United States cannot waver or be perceived to waver in its support for Ukraine, especially now. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, released its morning operational updates on Tuesday, October 24th, Wednesday, October 25th, and Thursday, October 26th. Each morning report covers combat engagements, summaries, and estimates of Russian losses for the previous 24 hours. For the period covered in these three reports, there were 213 combat engagements, and Russian losses included 2,420 personnel, 48 tanks, 62 armored combat vehicles, or ACVs, 98 artillery systems, 9 multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, 1 air defense system, or their components, and 44 tactical operational unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, or drones. Aww. Sad. The UAVs reported by the GSAFU are reported as tactical operational because they don't include so-called strategic UAVs, which are reported by the Air Defense Force of Ukraine. Tactical UAVs are supposed to be used in direct combat operations, whereas strategic UAVs are used for striking strategic targets well behind enemy lines. So, striking Ukrainian civilian infrastructure in layman's terms. Russia, of course, uses both to terrorize and target civilians. The Ukrainian Air Force's morning reports, like GSAFU's, covers events from the previous 24 hours, but aren't necessarily released daily. Five reports were released from October 19th through October 26th. Over that time, Ukraine destroyed 36 Shahed 131-136 Kamikaze drones, three Landsat Kamikaze drones, three KH-59 short-range cruise missiles, and one shock UAV. 13 out of 14 Shaheds launched at Ukraine on the evening of October 21st were destroyed, with the 14th striking a grain storage facility in Odessa. Russia launched at least eight S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used in a group attack at civilian targets from across the international border in Belgorod and from occupied Donetsk Oblast. Ukraine was only able to intercept three out of the nine Shahed drones on the night of October 18th. Iskander-M ballistic missiles were launched at civilian targets that same evening, with three Iskanders hitting Mukolaev, one hitting Dnipro, and another striking at undisclosed location. Russia also launched at least one S-300 missile, one KH-59 cruise missile, one unspecified cruise missile, and a number of laser-guided bombs towards Kherson. 
The Iskander M ballistic missiles can only be destroyed by advanced anti-air defense systems. In March this year, Yuri Ignat, spokesman for the Air Force, stated the Patriot and SAMP FT systems can destroy all ballistic missiles, but only at a range of 40 kilometers. We can't gloss over the senseless violence, destruction, and terrorism air attacks caused in Ukraine, and we'll be reporting on them daily as information is available. The air alert is almost constantly active in Kherson, Zaporizhia, Fridonetsk, Chernihiv, Kharkiv, and Sumy oblasts. Just because no one's talking about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. During the day on Friday, October 27th, Shahed's were launched in a daytime attack. On October 23rd, Andriy Yusuf, spokesman for the main Directorate of Defense Intelligence of Ukraine, or GUR, said in an interview with the TV station Kyiv that 400,000 Russian soldiers are on the territory of Ukraine. This is his full quote. There are enough forces for separate operations on separate sections of the front, and the group of invaders in Ukraine is more than 400,000 Russian servicemen. This is a considerable number of personnel. Repetition of this scenario in February 2022 is out of the question, but in some areas, the enemy will continue to try to conduct separate offensive operations. And that is coming from a representative of the GUR, also spelled HUR, or Ukraine's Military Intelligence. AFU spokesperson Volodymyr Fito said on October 27th that 100,000 of these soldiers, or 25%, are concentrated on the Liman-Kupiansk operational direction in the northeast. According to the general staff, Russian forces kept trying to advance in the east, with most fighting concentrated on the Kupiansk, Liman, Bakhmut, Avdiivka, Marienka, Shakhtarsk, and Zaporizhia fronts. So let's move over them clockwise, starting in liberated Kupiansk in Kharkiv Oblast. Hi, I'm Rob Godet, contributing editor at Ukraine War Brief. We're trying something new this episode by going quite in-depth with the content and analysis. Timestamps of each section are in the description. Let us know what you think. If you have Spotify, you can respond to our poll. Or send us an email at social at borlingen.media with your suggestions. Quick warning, there's an air alert near the end of this episode if you need to skip it. Our subscribers on Substack receive the full written brief ahead of time along with ad-free audio. Ads help us fund our work, so consider subscribing if you can. Also, leaving a five-star review, sharing the podcast with your friends, and re-listening to episodes helps others find us. Thank you so much. The general staff reported cross-border artillery shelling in the free Chernihiv, Sumy, and Kharkiv oblasts, as well as free and occupied Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson oblasts. Russians shelled 110 settlements in these oblasts on October 24th, 100 on October 25th, and 130 on October 26th. The shelling in Chernihiv, Sumy, and Kharkiv are likely war crimes. The Khortitsa Operational Strategic Group is responsible for the Kupinsk, Liman, and Bakhmut axes. Along the Kupinsk front, Ukrainian forces repelled 13 attacks in the vicinity of Sinkivka, Petropavlivka, and Ivanivka, Kharkiv Oblast. On October 26th, the U.S. National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator John Kirby said Kupinsk is one of the three operational areas where Russia is conducting offensive abilities. As we have said publicly, Russia has launched a renewed offensive in eastern Ukraine across multiple lines, including around Avdivka, Liman, and Kupiansk. Now, I spoke about this in a gaggle recently, but this offensive was not a surprise. We've been watching this build and come. We've warned that President Putin still aims to conquer Ukraine, and we've been working to ensure that Ukraine has the equipment it needs to defend its territory. On the Liman axis, the Ukrainian soldiers are standing their ground and have successfully repelled all of the enemy attacks near Nadia and Makiivka, in Luhansk Oblast. According to Deep State, the most reliable source of information from the front, Russia has resumed attacks near Liman and Parvomaiske, but Ukrainian forces were able to recapture the positions they lost the day before in the latter. Deep State also confirmed Russian gains in Dibrova. A little sidebar, according to one of our sources, Parvomaiske has the, quote, nicest trenches in all of Ukraine. End quote. Although, we're not quite sure what that means. They're probably nicer than Russian trenches, for sure. In the Bakhmut operational area, Ukrainian forces repelled 10 attacks around Bohdanivka, Ivanivska, Klishivka, and Andriivka, Donetsk Oblast. 
Deep State reported that fighting continues around Hromova and Klishivka. The general staff reported offensive operations are continuing south of Bakhmut. The Tavria Operational Strategic Group is responsible for the Avdiivka, Marinka, Shakhtarske, and Zaporizhia axes. The most brutal fighting is happening in Avdiivka. Russian forces are still trying to encircle the Ukrainian garrison in Avdiivka, just northwest of Donetsk city. Radio Svoboda reported on October 24th that Russian forces had entered the so-called Terracon, or Slag Heap. For those of us who don't know what either of those things are, a Terracon, or Slag Heap, is a hill, embankment, or mountain of mining waste. Huge congrats to Russia for capturing a part of a literal waste dump. Good job! A crucial ground line of communication, GLOC, that's a supply line, to Ukrainian forces in Avdiivka enters through the northwest, through the settlement of Stopova. If you take this road from Stopova into Avdiivka, you'll see the Terracon on your left, or to the northeast, followed by a coke plant on your right, to the southwest. A Ukrainian reserve officer known as at Tatarigami underscore UA posted an update on October 25th. Let me read it. Quote, The situation remains difficult, with ongoing Russian pressure on both flanks and the town of Avdivka itself. While neither side holds complete control over the waste heap, Russian forces have managed to achieve access to it and can make occasional-slash-temporary use of its position. Russian forces have been heavily utilizing airdrop bombs and guided airdrop bombs, resulting in significant damage to structures within Avdiivka, including civilian infrastructure. Satellite imagery shows a concentration of heavy artillery shelling to the north of Avdiivka, in close proximity to the heap, suggesting sustained pressure on defenders. Despite Russian denials, mounting losses are becoming increasingly evident. These losses have been corroborated by drone footage, geolocation efforts by volunteers, and satellite imagery. The duration of the enemy's intent and ability to sustain these high-pressure assaults remains uncertain, despite notable losses in personnel and equipment. While Ukraine has a good chance to repel Russian advances, it would be unrealistic and naive to claim that the Russians capturing Stepova is an entirely impossible scenario. Ultimately, if the Russians are unable to achieve success, this operation could become one of their most costly campaigns in the second half of 2023. End quote. Both Deep State and Institute for the Study of War, ISW, confirm that Russian forces have made advances to the southwest and north of Avdiivka, with Deep State taking a more alarmist view. The weather deteriorated on October 26th, with fog making it difficult for Ukrainian drones to operate. Unlike Russia, which is using brute force, Ukraine is more dependent on drone technology for precision targeting. Ukraine must conserve its limited ammunition, artillery, and personnel. Kirby again. As was the case during their failed winter offensive last year, the Russian military appears to be using what we would call human wave tactics. Deep State assessed that losing the Terracon won't make the situation untenable for Ukraine. The Terracon, at 334 meters above sea level, is just 15 to 20 meters above the elevation of the rest of the city. What worries Deep State more is the potential loss of the Avdiivka coke and chemical plant, AKHZ, a huge industrial complex and Europe's largest coke producer. Deep State also reported that Russian troops rotated in and out of Krasnohorivka, quote, like it's a parade, end quote, a settlement due north. The Russians successfully completed this troop rotation over the past few days. In its defense of the town, Ukraine is inflicting huge losses on Russia. Ukrainian Tavrysk Group of Forces spokesperson Colonel Alexander Shtupun stated that on October 25th and 26th, Russian forces from other areas on the front are replacing combat-destroyed or combat-ineffective units in Avdiivka. So-called Storm Z prisoner detachments, which we'll discuss later on, are refusing to fight and are abandoning positions there. And Russia has special troops just to shoot them if they refuse to fight. Shtupun said that 5,000 Russians have been killed or wounded, and 400 Russian armored vehicles have been destroyed since October 10th alone. In 10 days from October 10th to 20th, the ISW confirmed via satellite imagery that Ukraine destroyed at least 109 military vehicles, mainly AFVs and tanks. 
Kirby said Russia has lost at least 125 armored vehicles and a battalion's worth of equipment since just October 11th. Since the 11th of October, Russia has suffered significant losses in this offensive attempt of theirs, including at least 125 armored vehicles around Avdivka and more than a battalion's worth of equipment. Russian propagandists and mill bloggers, meanwhile, made unsubstantiated or exaggerated claims of advances in Oputne and Vodyane, just to the south and east of Avdiivka. The ISW reported these claims by mill bloggers Worgonzo and Dnivnik Desantnika, but didn't say whether they were true. And here is where our motto comes to play. Don't fall for propaganda. Griselda AI analysis shows Russian troop concentrations slightly lighter directly to the east of Avdiivka. This is potential evidence that Russia is forced to resupply its troops from Bakhmut to the northeast or from Makiivka to the southwest. The ISW assessed that even if Russia succeeds in encircling Avdiivka, it will undermine Russian offensive operations in the future due to the unprecedented losses. While this isn't untrue, we believe Deep State's analysis is more pertinent. Russia is trying to force Ukraine, through its allies, to the bargaining table. We will continue to monitor the situation in Avdiivka very closely and report on it as information becomes available. On the Marienka, Shakhtarske, and Zaporizhia fronts, the GSAFU reported defending against 20 Russian attacks southeast of Donetsk city in Marienka and Novomikhailivka, in Donetsk Oblast. Marienka borders the outskirts of Donetsk city, and Novomikhailivka lies about 10 kilometers southwest of Donetsk city. Deep State first reported that Russia made marginal gains in Novomikhailivka, which was then confirmed by geolocated drone footage. Moving further along the front to the south and west, Russians attempted to regain lost positions in Priyutne, a settlement in Zaporizhia along the Donetsk-Zaporizhia border, with some success. Priyutne is east of Urozhaina and Staromayorske, which the AFU liberated in late summer. The Ukrainian general staff said it repelled attacks in Novoukrainske, a settlement just south and east of Priyutne, and that it repelled an attack on Staromayorske. Colonel Shtupun said Russian forces suffered heavy losses and withdrew after attacking near Volodina, just 15 kilometers south of Velikonovosilka, on October 24th. Aww, sad. It didn't work out for the occupiers. The Russian Vostok Battalion, which is southeast of Velikonovosilka, claimed that bad weather hindered their operations in the area. Aww, even sadder. Vostok Battalion also claimed that Russian ground forces in the Velikonovosilka area struggle with rodent infestations in soldiers' living spaces. Aww, the saddest! Maybe not the saddest, though. It's kinda nice to see Russian soldiers living among their friends. The GSAFU also said Russian troops are preparing for an attack towards Shakhtarske, a town to the west of Velikonovosilka. The troop concentration can be seen on Griselda, building up to the southeast of Vuhludar. In western Zaporizhia oblast, fierce fighting near Varbove and Novoprokopivka continues. The AFU made tactical gains west of Robotone, improving their positions to the northwest of Nesterianka and in the east of Kopany. Nesterianka and Kopany are small settlements west of Robotone and south of Orikhiv. On the Kherson axis, the GSAFU kept pretty tight operational security and only reported conducting counter-battery fire and striking behind enemy lines. Geolocated footage published on October 25th shows that Ukrainian forces marginally advanced north of Pitstepne, which is about 15 kilometers east of Kherson city, on the left side of the Dnipro River. Other than that, we don't have much to offer. Something significant is happening in this area, since even Deep State is recommending to, quote, wait for official announcements, end quote. Much of the information space is filled with Russian mill bloggers and the Russian MOD. We don't use these sources unless footage can be geolocated and confirmed. Kirim, known to you as Crimea, and the Black Sea Fleet. The Russian Ministry of Defense claimed that Ukrainian underwater sabotage forces and unmanned surface vessel 
USV drones repelled an attack on the Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol on the night of October 23rd. Sidebar, Sevastopol's real name is Akyar in Kerim Tatar, or the language of Crimean Tatars, Kerimli. Sevastopol illegitimate governor Mikhail Razvazhayev claimed on October 24th that Russian electronic warfare complexes downed a Ukrainian drone over Krim and that reports of explosions were connected to routine Russian military activities. Sure it was, Mikhail. Whatever helps you sleep at night. The ATESH resistance movement reported large numbers of Russian troops being transported through Jankoy Airport on August 26th to be sent to the meat grinder. The Crimean Wind Telegram Channel reported that the anti-mine ship Vladimir Kazitsky, a Project 23040G boat, suddenly exploded outside of Sevastopol Bay. The ship had been seen with smoke coming out of its engine room for the past few days and was towed to port. We cannot confirm this information at the time of recording, so take it with a grain of salt. In the temporarily occupied territories, we've got Kirim on the mind. Even if the Vladimir Kozitsky wasn't destroyed, it will be soon, according to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. In an October 24th speech, he promised Ukraine will continue to strike the Black Sea Fleet at its new base in occupied Abkhazia, Georgia, or its real name, Sakartvelo. Speaking to the Second Parliamentary Summit of the Crimean Platform, an international organization dedicated to the liberation of Kirim, President Zelensky declared the fleet wouldn't be safe anywhere in the Black Sea. The platform was founded in 2021 by Ukraine to invite foreign partners to raise awareness of ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity on the illegally annexed and occupied peninsula. Prague hosted the platform this year, which hosted delegates from the parliaments of legislative branches of 70 countries. Zelensky said that it's only a matter of time before Ukraine establishes fire control over Krym, and that's where Ukraine operates well. For more details on this, refer to our episode on September 5th, called How Russia's Invasion of Georgia Let It Think It Could Conquer Ukraine, which discusses how Abkhazia is tied to the war in Ukraine. Advisor to the legal occupation head of Krym, Oleg Krychkov, said on Telegram that a massive cyber attack is underway and there may be some disruption to service. The attack is being repelled, however. Hm, <laughs> just kidding! 21 minutes after posting that the attack is being repelled, Krychkov posted on Telegram with an update from the illegal occupation governor Sergei Aksonov. Aksonov had a very important message. Quote, Don't hang up the phone. Wait for official information from the departments. End quote. Ah, this reminds me of my days working corporate and being on hold with the help desk. Just as useless. Ukrainian politician-turned-traitor Oleg Tsaryov was attacked in his home in Yalta, occupied Krym. At the moment, the Russian information space is full of conflicting stories about the details. Initial reports claimed he was stabbed, and later reports claimed he was shot. Either way, aw, sad. Whatever the cause, he's in the hospital in very serious condition and is in intensive care. Russians are praying for him now. Or something. Tsaryov was sentenced in absentia to 12 years in prison on May 3, 2022 by Kyiv judge Pavlo Slobodinyuk for publicly advocating for separatism, attempting to overthrow the government through violence, and overthrowing the constitution using the media. Tsaryov was elected to the Vrhovna Rada in 2012 as a member of the Party of Regions, the pro-Russian party of Viktor Yanukovych. Yeah, that same Viktor Yanukovych who was impeached and then fled to Russia and then his former mansion with a literal gold toilet on a territory of a national reserve, think like Yosemite, was turned into Museum of Corruption? Following the Revolution of Dignity and ouster of Yanukovych, he ran for president. He didn't last long as a candidate. Touché, I literally cannot recall who he is. In June 2014, the Rada expelled him and stripped him of parliamentary immunity. He fled to occupy Donbass and became the so-called Speaker of the Parliament of the Union of People's Republics. This illegal political thing was supposed to unite the so-called Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics under one union. He went into hiding in 2016, thought to be an occupied Krim. According to U.S. intelligence reports, Putin wanted to install Tsaryov as head of the puppet government following the full-scale invasion in 2022. 
And look at him now. He's in intensive care with gun and or stab wounds. If Turbo Patriot and Russian Vladimir Rogov is to be believed, he sustained two gunshot wounds. Again, aw, sad. Speaking of prayers, Aksyonov met with Russian Orthodox Church Metropolitan, or Bishop, and Chairman of the Church Synodal Department for Cooperation with the Russian Armed Forces and Law Enforcement Agencies. Yes, this is a thing. Yeah, because the Russian Orthodox Church is an extension of the Russian state. We won't even tell you what Aksyonov said the meeting is about, because it's a lie. That bishop was there to collect intel on civilians to pass on to the Russian security services. The so-called church has a well-documented history of persecuting religious communities in occupied Ukraine. Illegal so-called occupation governor of Kherson Vladimir Saldo said 1,400 Ukrainian children from occupied Kherson oblasts will be effectively deported. Hopefully, he outlined exactly how so his arrest warrant can be issued by the International Criminal Court, or the ICC, and the children can be reunited with their parents. Before year's end, 1,400 students will participate in the Russian Federal Youth Agency, Rosmaladyosh, more than a trip program. This sounds a little too much like Hitlerjugend, you know, Hitler's youth, Russia's youth. Hmm. Coincidence? I don't think so. Even the title of this program makes me sick. Vladimir Salda, I'm repeating his name for the ICC, claimed that children will visit various locations inside Russia and participate in educational activities. He didn't mention that the children won't be returned. Illegal occupation governor of the fake Donetsk People's Republic, Denis Pushilin, said on Telegram that 70 children from Donetsk have undergone surgical procedures at the Russian Research Institute of Emergency Pediatric Surgery and Traumatology in Moscow since 2022. Perhaps even worse, Pushilin said that doctors from the institute arrived in occupied Donetsk to train new doctors and conduct unspecified surgical procedures. Pushilin, again, that's Denis Pushilin for our listeners in The Hague, was silent on where the children went after the so-called surgery. Children that remain in occupied areas are brainwashed and militarized. On October 25th, 12 children from Skadovsk took an oath of allegiance, quote, to strengthen the power of the Russian state, end quote, and become military cadets, according to a telegram post by the Kherson Oblast Illegal Occupation Authorities. The Illegal Occupation Ministry of Education praised the cadet movement among schoolchildren. The Crimean Investigative Committee also reported that primary schoolchildren are forced to sign up for the Eaglets of Russia propaganda organization. 101 teams from Russian-occupied Zaporizhia, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Krim are participating. It's like Nazi youth, except in Russian. OSINT researcher M.T. Anderson revealed Russians occupying Balbek Air Base near Sevastopol in occupied Krim painted four fake MiG-31s onto the tarmac. Next to the paint are four real MiG-31s, and SU-27s, SU-30s, and SU-34s. The Russians are using hangars to protect and conceal aircraft. Radio and nukes also identified two Nyebayu air defense radars, one Pratyvnik G air defense radar, a 96L6 cheeseboard radar, and an older anti-aircraft system. Silly Russia, the United States, United Kingdom, Japan, Ukraine, and most of NATO is spying on you, soaking up your signals. We have eyes and ears on you everywhere you go, and we're better than you, and you know it. Also, we have satellite imagery. Next up, on the home front. In Slavuta and Natushin in Khmelnytsky Oblast, debris from Shahed UAVs wounded civilians and damaged 11 apartment buildings, 9 homes, 2 schools, 2 fire stations, and 1 police station in the early hours of October 26th. According to Anarhoatom, Ukraine's nuclear energy regulator, buildings near the oblast's nuclear power plant were also damaged. Explosions damaged the windows of an administrative building and a laboratory near the plant. In Free Kherson, Russia carried out three illegal attacks. First, Kherson's regional military administration reported that Russian shelling heavily damaged a hospital in the village of Bilozerka, located about 15 kilometers from the city of Kherson on the evening of October 25th into 26th. 
Second, Ukraine's state emergency service said that an airstrike damaged the roof and windows of a local fire station, but that their equipment remained intact. No one was injured in the first two attacks. Finally, Russia attacked the small village of Kozatske, which is directly across the Dnipro. Two people in their 60s sustained spinal and soft tissue wounds, according to the Kyiv Independent. 14 people are still in the hospital as of October 27th from the terrorist attack on the Novoposhta branch in the town of Korotich in Kharkiv Oblast. At 10.15 p.m. on Saturday, October 21st, Russia launched an S-113 anti-aircraft missile at the Novoposhta branch, killing six people ranging in age from 21 to 31 and injuring 17 more. The injured range in age from 19 to 48. Seven are still in intensive care and two are in extremely serious condition, although they have started to breathe again without ventilators. The rest of the hospitalized patients are awaiting surgery. Korotich is a suburb of Kharkiv. There is no innocent explanation for this attack. Novoposhta, which translates literally to new post but means a new kind of post, is a private Ukrainian courier company that, even in wartime, operates more efficiently than most American and Canadian postal services. When I say Ukraine relies on Nova Posta to transport everything, I mean Ukraine relies on Nova Posta to transport everything. From packages to frontline soldiers, where Nova Posta often sets up shop very close to the front lines, to companies using it as its preferred courier, Nova Posta does it all. I explained everything Nova Posta could do to Robbie, and he was, as they say, shooketh. For example, we, me and Robbie, used Nova Posta to ship two huge boxes of socks from Lviv to Kyiv, and it took about 12 hours to get there. For reference, by train or car, the fastest a human could get there is probably around 8 hours. When you order merchandise online, you can decide whether you want to pay for it immediately or pay for it at Nova Posta after you pick it up. Something we ordered arrived broken, and I was able to send it back so I didn't have to wait for a refund. There is a Nova Posta branch virtually on every corner or so. Think New York delis or Starbucks. There are also postmats or these little P.O. boxes where you can just pick up your packages from Nova Posta without having to go to a branch. Before the war, you could track exactly where your package is. Nova Posta is basically like a P.O. box without having to pay for one. And if you want, it can also deliver packages to your home via courier. It's pretty awesome. Everyone in Ukraine uses it. It's also why it's so sick that Russia would target a Nova Posta location. One other thing worth mentioning about this story. A lot of news outlets translate the Nova Posta location that was attacked as a terminal. But the much better translation is branch. This wasn't a sorting facility or logistics hub. Russia used a surface-to-air missile to attack the equivalent of a post office. It was calculated, cold, and yet so perfectly Russian. Ukraine exported nearly 1.5 million tons of agricultural products through new routes. Ukrainian Vice Prime Minister Alexander Kubrakov announced on October 24th. While this is still extremely small, it nevertheless marks a milestone showing adaptation, cooperation among trade partners, and Ukraine's ability to put a dent or two in the Black Sea Fleet. In comparison, from August 2022 to July 2023, 33 million tons of agricultural products were delivered to Africa, Asia, and Europe. Kubrakov said expert logistics need to be improved, but I find that sinking another battleship always helps. Deputy Foreign Minister Anton Dimohin, the Foreign Ministry's Chief Digital Transformation Officer, gave an interview to Bloomberg during his visit to Singapore. He emphasized Russian cyber attacks are growing more sophisticated and more frequent. Demohin said almost 4,000 cyber attacks were recorded from January 2022 and September 2023. Cyber criminals target government bodies, security agencies, and commercial businesses, including banks, to disrupt services and steal personal data. Ukraine is largely able to defend against the attacks, but, quote, they're effective in a sense that we do put in a lot of effort to stop them, end quote. Government data shared with Bloomberg showed most of the attacks originate in Russia. Surprise. The complexity of the attacks has increased both in coordination and in sophistication. 
A single attack appears to come from multiple locations, suggesting coordination or viruses, and worms are only activated during an offensive operation, suggesting more sophistication. Cyber attacks skyrocketed 300% early in the full-scale invasion. Notably, the attackers shifted from military espionage to stealing evidence submitted to courts regarding Russian spies and evidence of war crimes. It's almost like the attacks shifted once the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for Putin. Huh. Speaking of criminals, let's talk about the Russian Federation and effectively annexed Belarus. DTEK, Ukraine's largest commercial electric utility, reported that Russia is using artificial intelligence to create fake Ukrainian TV stories and spread them on social media. The company has long been a target of Russia's terrorist strikes and saboteurs. The Kremlin gave new instructions to state and pro-government Russian media. Putin banned publication about the crimes of Russian soldiers slash prison recruits who returned from Ukraine. The Kremlin wants to muffle stories about recidivist mercenaries and pardoned prisoners. If it bleeds, it leads. Still applies in Russia, apparently. The UK Ministry of Defense Intelligence had an interesting take in its October 24th update. The Brits said the very existence of Storm Z units in the military is proof that Russia can't train or constitute an offensive force. Storm Z units are about the size of a company. Storm Z was meant to be made of relatively elite units capable of seizing the tactical initiative. Storm Z or Storm Z, as they say across the pond, is anything but elite. It's made up of convicts and regular army personnel whose punishment is to be in Storm Z. These units are the lowest priority for medical, mechanical, logistical, or literally any other support. U.S. NSC spokesman John Kirby had this to say about Russian troops and is likely referring to Storm Z. Russia continues to show no regard for the lives of its, its soldiers. We believe they have suffered thousands of casualties in their effort to conduct this offensive, some of them on the orders of their own leaders. We have information that the Russian military has been actually executing soldiers who refuse to follow orders. We also have information that Russian commanders are threatening to execute entire units if they seek to retreat from Ukrainian artillery fire. Russia's mobilized forces remain undertrained, under-equipped, and unprepared for combat. Side note, the UK Defense Intelligence update refers to the unit as Storm, spelled with an SH. The Russian word Storm or Stormzy is taken or stolen, like the rest of their awful language, from the Dutch Storm. The correct translation should be Stormzy, not Stormzy. We found an academic paper comparing Russian loanwords from Dutch. The researchers concluded the vast majority of Russian loanwords taken from Dutch are related to shipbuilding, navigation, and infrastructure. This is because Peter I, who they call Great, a crazed, seven-foot-tall emperor, traveled in secret to Amsterdam to learn shipbuilding. Except it wasn't really a secret because the man was seven-foot-tall in 1697. Everyone around him just kept up the charade. Yeah, no one recognizes you, sir. If you need more evidence that Russia stole most of its culture from others, take a look at the Russian and Dutch flags. I dare you. Meanwhile, Putin welcomed the leaders of Hamas on October 26th. Dispelling any myths about whether Hamas' attack on Israel and Russia's invasion of Ukraine are connected. Hamas's so-called head of foreign relations, Musa Abu Marzok, led a delegation to Moscow that met with Russian Deputy Foreign Affairs Minister and Special Representative for the Middle East, Mikhail Bogdanov, and Iranian Deputy Foreign Affairs Minister Ali Bagherikani. During the visit, Hamas gave Russia glowing reviews for its position on the Israeli-Hamas war. Russia is framing itself as a mediator between Israel and the terrorist group. A senior Hamas delegation visited Moscow in March 2023. If you don't think the timing is a coincidence, I have a bridge over the Kerch Strait to sell you. Let's talk about news worldwide. The Finnish National Bureau of Investigation, or FFBI, determined a Hong Kong vessel's dragging anchor damaged the Baltic connector gas pipelines between Finland and Estonia. 
the Bureau discovered a 1.5 to 4-meter-wide pattern on the seabed leading up and following the damaged pipeline. The FFBI inspected the anchor on the suspect ship, the Nunu Polar Bear, and found markings on the anchor consistent with hitting the pipeline. The Nunu Polar Bear's crew was contacted several times, but they refused to cooperate with the investigation. Yikes. The U.S. House of Representatives has a new Republican speaker. After anti-Ukrainian hardliner Representative Jim Jordan lost three votes for the speakership after spending decades making enemies in Congress. Majority Whip Tom Emmer lost the nomination, after former President Donald Trump sank his nomination for petty reasons. It seems the new speaker, Mike Johnson, Republican Louisiana, was elected because he simply came in third behind Jordan and Emmer, and the caucus was desperate for a speaker. It's a truly remarkable rise for Speaker Johnson. Never in modern history has the speaker not been a prodigious fundraiser. Never has a speaker never had a leadership position on a House committee or within the party. Never before has a member of the fringes of a party arisen to become speaker overnight. While simply a backbencher, he didn't support aid for Ukraine, nor did he vote for the government's stopgap funding measure. He said he wouldn't support more aid to Ukraine unless there was accountability. After meeting with Biden privately, however, he said that Ukraine must win or else Vladimir Putin will continue. He wants to separate the $16 billion aid package for Israel from the $90 billion aid package from Ukraine and the southern border. It's not clear whether the House will have legislative time to separate the bills. All spending bills must originate in the House under the U.S. Constitution, and the federal government needs a budget as well. In more positive news, Polish minority parties announced on Thursday evening that they would form a coalition government with the pro-EU, pro-Ukraine, pro-democracy Donald Tusk as their leader. Poland has already changed its tune on funding for Ukraine, the Grain Initiative, and other issues. The formation of another government in Slovakia under Robert Fico's far-right, far-left, populist, nationalist, anti-LGBT coalition resulted in Slovakia halting any more aid to Ukraine and stopped it from imposing new sanctions. Hungary wasn't the only problem child for long in the European Union. Slovakia traded places with Poland. Slovakia and Hungary are now blocking the 50 billion euro in aid from being distributed to Ukraine. Their combined economic might without Poland is extremely diminished, however. Without Poland, the pro-Putin caucus lost 250% in economic power. Hungary's dictatorial prime minister, Viktor Orban, blocked Sweden's accession to NATO. Again. Even after Turkey's dictatorial president, Erdogan, submitted Sweden's application to the Turkish parliament. Orban was seen last week in Beijing meeting with Putin and Chinese president-slash-dictator and chair of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, at China's Belt and Road Initiative meeting. Ukraine and its allies are all frustrated with Hungary and its leader, who is seen as undermining national security. President, chairman of the Chinese Communist Party and dictator Xi Jinping announced through state media that Li Shangfu, China's top defense minister who's been missing since August, was fired. We don't know if Li Shangfu was literally fired upon or if Li lost his job. They didn't specify. Li Keqiang, former premier, the second most powerful position in China, also died of a supposed heart attack at age 68 on October 27th. Hu Jintao, former president who was dramatically escorted out of the Communist Party Congress in late 2021, has been missing ever since. Xi has also been purging generals from the People's Liberation Army, PLA, rocket force. Some analysis here. Xi is going full Stalin. The CCP studies Soviet history, fearing it could come to the same end as the Soviet Union. Its brutal Marxist-Leninist politics has taken over the party organs, the standing committees, the Politburo, and is now ensuring full loyalty of the PLA. As Heidi Klum would say, one day you're in, the next you're out. Like Russia, China's military strength and economic might are paper tigers. China is in economic decline. Its one-child policy is leading it to a demographic cliff worse than Japan's. Youth unemployment hovers at 25% or more. Unlike consumer-driven liberal economies, the Chinese like to save. There is inherent uncertainty in a market owned and controlled by the CCP. The vast majority of household wealth in China, in yuan or renminbi, is connected to real estate. Real estate conglomerate Evergrande just declared bankruptcy. Expert controls on the renminbi make it difficult to take money out of China. 
Chinese consumers have record levels of debt, as does the state. Because personalistic totalitarian and nationalistic regimes, especially ones in decline, take more risks in foreign policy when under threat, we assess that China will invade Taiwan within the next five years. This can be avoided if US, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Thailand make it clear that invading Taiwan would lead to war with the United States and its allies. With Jake Sullivan in office, this won't happen, but there is still a chance he could be fired for his string of policy failures in Ukraine, Iran, Afghanistan, and more. Ukraine must have the support it needs ASAP to win the war. A new report from Investigate Europe, a European non-profit investigative journalism organization, revealed the EU continued importing critically important raw materials from companies related to the Kremlin to the tune of 13.7 billion euros, or $14.5 billion since February 2022. The 27 countries of the EU adopted 11 sanction packages against Russia in response to its invasion. Targeted goods include oil, coal, steel, and timber. But the 34 minerals the EU considers critical, like titanium and nickel, still flow freely from Russia, funding Russia's invasion. Some of Ukraine's Western allies have targeted Russia's mining sector. The UK recently banned Russian copper, aluminum, and nickel. But the EU continues its blood imports. Over 18 months since the invasion, Airbus and other EU companies still buy titanium, nickel, and other commodities from firms close to the Kremlin. Thanks, Airbus! Failing businessman, ketamine addict, and soon-to-be ex-billionaire Elon Musk believes that military conflicts in the Middle East and Ukraine could escalate into World War III. Therefore, according to Musk, the U.S. should improve relations with Russia by persuading Ukraine to enter into a ceasefire agreement. Parroting Russian propaganda, Musk said in a Twitter space on October 23rd that, quote, U.S. policy has been forcing Russia to ally with Iran and China, end quote, and that an alliance of Russia, China, and Iran could defeat the West in a global conflict. L-O-L. Yeah, I spelled that out and said it out loud. Musk considers anything he doesn't solve to be inadequate. I'm also sure his position has nothing to do with the fact that SpaceX launches from Kazakhstan and wants Russia's crappy space program as a customer, or that Tesla is getting hammered in the weak Chinese consumer demand economy, or that Tesla needs raw materials and supply chains in China, or that Musk overpaid for Twitter and now owes Qataris, Emiratis, Saudis, and Chinese billions of dollars. No. Couldn't be. A gang that tried to illegally sell valuable Ukrainian artifacts in Spain was caught as a result of cooperation between the SBU and the Bureau of Economic Security of Ukraine and the police of the Kingdom of Spain. Eleven golden artifacts of Ukraine's cultural heritage stolen from the occupied areas of Ukraine by Russian soldiers worth more than 60 million euros, or 63.5 million dollars, were seized from the criminals. At the German-Ukrainian Business Forum on October 24th, Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmuhal announced new joint ventures between Ukraine and German arms manufacturer Rheinmetall and between state hydroelectric power company Ukrhydroenergo and Austrian hydropower supergiant Andritz Hydro. Shmuhal announced that the joint venture with Rheinmetall will provide maintenance and repair of equipment supplied by allies to Ukraine. He said it would help jointly build the arsenal of the free world. We love Ukrainian-German collabs and can't wait to see what this one brings. Maybe some Taurus cruise missiles would pair nicely with it? Ukrhydro hmm? Energo and Andritz Hydro will work on unspecified green energy projects in Ukraine. Hopefully, Andritz Hydro can offer remediation expertise in the Kahovka Dam Reservoir area. Evidence is mounting that Russia is buying artillery ammunition from North Korea. Approximately 350,000 rounds of 122mm howitzer and 122mm grad artillery ammo have been shipped over the past month. To put this into context, Russia needs about 10,000 rounds a month. Gabrielis Landsbergis, Foreign Affairs Minister of Lithuania, wasn't having any of it. He tweeted, quote, The EU promised Ukraine 1 million artillery rounds. So far, we've delivered only 300,000. Meanwhile, North Korea delivered 350,000 to Russia. We sure have the resources to outperform North Korea. We should stop being frozen in the headlights while brave Ukrainians die. End quote. 
In a takeaway that really shocked me, the Financial Times reported that the Russian invasion forced Ukraine to turbocharge their own defense industry and innovate at speed. Yeah, no sh**. The FT reported Ukraine's most recent innovation was converting redundant U.S. air-to-air AIM-9 Sidewinder missiles into surface-to-air missiles, an area of critical need. North American listeners might be more familiar with the Sidewinder than they think. It's the same missile that shot down the Chinese spy balloon over the coast of South Carolina earlier this year. U.S. and Ukrainian engineers have also managed to modify a Soviet-era book air defense launcher so that it can fire U.S. RIM-7 anti-ship missiles. The book can now be used as an anti-missile defense weapon. Aw, teamwork! Admiral Robert Bauer called on NATO countries to agree on a standard for artillery ammunition to increase production. NATO is pushing its members to overcome protectionist tendencies and agree on a single standard for artillery ammunition to boost production of urgently needed 155mm shells. Picking a standard will drive down prices, ease logistics like storage, procurement, maintenance, transport, and allow manufacturers to plan for the orders. Prices have soared since Russia's full-scale invasion. Western countries were caught flat-footed, not expecting a war of attrition this century. Since February 2022, they've been scrambling to boost output of artillery shells as Ukraine, firing thousands of rounds a day, burns through supplies faster than Allies' production capability. There is a NATO standard for artillery ammunition, but its implementation is voluntary. Lack of implementation by 14 countries fragmented the market and hampered flow of supplies to Kyiv. There are 14 different kinds of 155mm ammunition available on the market. Minister for Strategic Industries Alexander Kamushin said on October 25th, Ukraine is already producing thousands of drones per month. Soon, production will increase to tens of thousands a month. Kamushin was in Stockholm for the NATO Industrial Forum. All of Ukraine's defense production capacities have greatly increased, Kamushin added, including the production of shells, but it is still short of what is required. Ukraine's Army of Drones is a joint initiative of the Digital Transformation Ministry and the governmental United24 fundraising platform. It was launched in July 2022, with Star Wars actor Mark Hamill as the initiative's ambassador. Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, also voices the Air Alert app. His voice graced us in the middle of the night for many nights. And for me, still does today, because I never uninstalled the app. Attention! Air raid alert! Proceed to the nearest shelter. Don't be careless. Your overconfidence is your weakness. Attention! The air alert is over. May the force be with you. Ah, I love you, Mark Hamill. And that's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And if you haven't already, please consider subscribing to our work on Substack. We'll be back soon with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. До побачення!